and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Costello. Today's guest is Nikhil Lakampal, the co-founder of NAMI. NAMI's mission is to offer financial institutions the best digital banking platform in the industry. NAMI does this through an API-driven platform that layers on top of existing banking infrastructure to give these financial institutions access to NAMI's products, including digital account opening, consumer and business digital banking, and an admin platform. NAMI raised a $35 million Series B in June 2022. In today's episode, we discuss Nikhil's journey from running a financial institution during his undergraduate years at Georgetown to founding a fintech, how NAMI integrates with a tech stack for financial institutions to provide a superior customer experience, the outlook for the banking sector, including the impact of FedNow and how banks have recently started focusing more on digital and tech spend, and much more. Hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Where are you calling in from today? Hey, great to see you, Kaylee. I'm calling in from New York City, which is where I live and where NAMI's headquartered. Very exciting. To start with, can you tell us about what NAMI does and what sparked the idea to found the company? Absolutely. Uh, NAMI was founded in 2016 uh, by myself and my co-founder, Chris Griffin. Um, you know, we have a pretty interesting founding story where we met during our undergraduate years at Georgetown University. Um, through that experience, and I'll spare you all the details, we basically ran a financial institution together. Uh, we were CEO and CTO of a government-insured financial institution. And truly, it was eye-opening to see the tech stack that powered this financial institution. And more, more broadly speaking, the tech stacks that it's the same tech stacks that power all 10,000 plus financial institutions in, in the country. Um, and we weren't very impressed is kind of how I would, how I would characterize our assessment of the situation. Um, and while we wanted to take on the whole tech stack, that would be, that would take years and years and billions of dollars of capital. But what we really focused in on was the digital experience. Like how does our financial institution offer a better account opening, mobile banking, online banking, just a superior digital experience that is on par with consumer and business expectations today. And we found it really difficult to find something in the market that we were excited about. And so that was the the original, you know, motivating um, motivation point. And since then, you know, we, uh, that was almost, that was over 10 years ago. So we, we've obviously turned a lot of that into reality. What are some of the examples of the core products and services that NAMI provides to financial institutions? Sure. So, you know, you can think of the NAMI platform is extremely deep and extremely wide and complicated and has over 75 plus integrations. But the easiest way to conceptualize that is what I would say is four tier one products. Um, it's consumer account opening. So if a bank or credit union wants to enable consumers to open accounts with them, either digitally or in branch. It's a business account opening. So if a financial institution wants a business like an LLC or sole prop or C-Corp or any business to open up accounts with them in branch or through digital, um, it's consumer digital banking. So how to service these customers either through online banking or mobile banking. And it's a business digital banking. So same concept, but for businesses. And what's interesting is Regardless if you purchase all four of those products or just one of those, you also get the NARMI admin platform, 
which is what powers uh, the, the the bank or credit union staff uh, use this tool to to administer you know these front end tools. So um, obviously, it gets as I said, it gets way more complicated. There are many integrations. There are many pieces of functionality um, you can add on. There's additional modules, but typically, like our goal is to be the digital partner for a financial institution. Like we want if they if they want to do anything digitally. We want them to pick up the phone and call us. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're well on our way there. Can you explain to us how NAMI works from a technical perspective in terms of how your customers can layer your services on top of their existing bank infrastructure? Sure. So I think it's important to just understand the, the technology stack of a financial institution. And a really big part of that is the core banking system. So, and I don't think this is common knowledge, so it's important to talk about. Basically, think about the core as the brain of a financial institution. What is your account balance? What's your next loan payment due? What's your amortization schedule? Um, how much cash does the bank have on its balance sheet? Um, what's the weighted duration of CDs that the bank has? Um, there's just so much information that goes into this core banking system. And typically, these cores are uh, provided by one of three companies, FIS, Fiserv, and Jack Henry. Um, these are companies that are quite large in nature, relatively speaking. They've been around for, for decades. Um, and they're, you know, they're, they definitely have a very strong um, hold on the market. Um, a recent development, though, really over the last five to 10 years, has been that these cores have become a lot more accessible to call it third parties, but really partners. And uh, they've done that by embracing openness. And what that actually means in reality is APIs. So um, those three companies I mentioned and others um, now have very robust API programs, uh, have publicly documented APIs, have certification programs. This really didn't exist 10 plus years ago. Um, so I'm very proud or I'm very happy where the industry has moved um, it obviously makes companies like NARMI more successful or we can, you know, seamlessly integrate into these cores. So, you know, from a technical perspective, a huge part of NARMI is integrating with these cores and making sure that integration is very robust and very stable and very reliable. Um, there's obviously a ton more integrations, uh, you know, with respect to, um, you know, third parties like e-statements and bill pay and remote deposit capture and check imaging and, and security and BSA tools. And again, I won't bore you with that, but the, the underlying principle is a bank or credit union has a core. NARMI sits on top of it and is really that, that customer facing layer, uh, with a seamless real time integration with that backend system. So that's what I would want the audience to take away. And in terms of that customer-facing layer, like how would you describe, I know you spoke about your previous experiences and like not being happy with some of the tech stack. How would you describe, you know, the difference in the customer experience from the before to when they've laid on your services? Sure. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's pretty crazy. It's, it's not like there's one thing, right? It's not like NARMI does face ID and, and the competition doesn't. That's not really how we think about it. It's, it's just, it's this constant evolution of digital banking that we feel we are delivering to our customers that we feel our competition is not. 
Well, so what do I mean by that? Um, what, what we experience when running our own financial decision, what I think still happens today, what I know still happens today is you, a bank buys a product, it goes live, but then the product doesn't evolve with the same pace as consumer and business expectations. And that's a big problem because financial institutions are at the same bar as airlines, as streaming services, as rideshare services. And to a large degree, who is setting those user expectations? It is Google and Rideshare. It is like these mass, you know, direct-to-consumer products. But our customer base, regional and community financial institutions, d- does not have the the horsepower, or, or it's not even the horsepower, it's the resources internally to keep up with those. And that's why they need to hire an army. So it's, it's like, let me give you an example, you know, there's a competitor out there of ours that quote has entitlement controls for their business banking product. Meaning, um, if a business owner goes in and wants to add their accountant and their CFO and their head of operations and give them different permissions, they technically on paper can do that. But Kaylee, like that's not, it's not intuitive. It's not, doesn't make sense. It, it's error. It's written with errors and frankly, it's easier for them to call in and have someone do that than use the platform. With us, it's just far more intuitive. It's built on mobile. It's built on online. The email communications are there. It's actually thought out from a product-led experience. So when you take something like that, like, again, like, sure, you can say you offer it, but if it's so clunky where your business owner is calling the bank, you don't offer it. Like, let's just call it what it is. So you take that example and multiply it by 200 examples, well, now you're moving mountains and now you're saying, okay, I'm now moving all my customer interactions to digital. You're therefore saving money in the, in, in the call center and the branches. You're hiring less people. You're also seeing digital be more attractive for money movement. It's really a flywheel effect that, um, you know, is a big part of the army story. And regarding your customer base, you mentioned that you primarily work with regional and community financial institutions. How do you think about segmenting and targeting potential customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the easiest way to think about this market is by asset size. Um, so, you know, banks can go from from zero dollars to to trillions of dollars uh, on the high end. Um, Narmi's Narmi sweet spot is really right around that hundred million dollar mark on the low end, and about that fifty billion mark on the high end. Um, and we feel that is just a really great opportunity because they are the ones that need our help the most. They're the ones that, you know, yeah, they won't be able to hire 20, 30, 40 engineers per bank, uh, to, to what is what it takes to maintain your own platform. Um, and they, they need our help and we've proven success at all those levels. I think we've done a great job staffing those, those different financial institutions according to their complexity and according to the, their needs. Um, so that's the easiest way. We also approach them, you know, as I think we had a great conversation around the core banking systems. So we do segment via core. Uh, there are cores we won't work with as well. Like we, we also know, uh, we have a very high bar for how we, you know, want our platform to be successful. And there are definitely some legacy cores that I have either their, their owners have announced they're being sunsetted or they're not receiving R and D investment. And, you know, the, the investment's going elsewhere. But, you know, the, the cores that account for 90% of the market we're, we're integrated with, so I'm not worried about that. But that is a great way to target the ICP. Um, 
we don't, you know, interesting enough, we don't segment by geography. You know, we definitely, you know, we feel successful that we can target a, um, a financial institution that's in the heart of New York City uh, and that's digital only or someone that is has 113 branches spread across, you know, um, the Midwest or, or uh, you know, uh, the West Coast. So uh, geography, interestingly enough, is not a huge driver of, of what we do, um, just FYI. And financial services incumbents historically have been slow to innovate and shift to digital platforms, as I'm sure you've seen. Are you noticing that this is still at play when you're trying to sell to these financial institutions? And what challenges have you faced bringing on customers? What I think is perhaps one of the biggest tailwinds to NARMI is that banks and credit unions now evaluate technology spend on digital technology, which is what NARMI does as investments versus operating expenses. And just conceptually, that is a huge mindset shift. The fact that you go from, okay, I need to pay for this service. What happens in that case? You go for the lowest cost. You go for like really, you know, uh, vendors are very interchangeable. You know, you're providing a service, you call it a day. If it does the job, great. If not, you know, you find someone else. There's no loyalty. There's no partnership. When you shift it to an investment, it's really, it's just a totally different ballgame. And that's where you want to be, I think, both in, in the industry we're in, but also I think generally in software in general, I think those are those are the type of companies that do the best. So ours is like, okay, what are the deposits you're going to generate through an army? What are the the new, um, the, what's the revenue opportunity you're going to generate? How many more customers am, am I going to get through an army? Is my member, you know, penetration, you know, on digital going to go up through an army? Um and it's so, it's even, I'll even take this deeper. It's more revenue focused than it is cost savings focused, which you're already in a good spot if you're on the ROI side. And then I think you're in a better spot if you're on the revenue side versus the cost saving side. But there is also a huge cost saving advantage to an army. And I, I should, you know, walk you through an example a little bit earlier. So yeah, I, I'm super excited about the future. Um, you know, of course, it's not easy to, sell to financial services um rightfully so they are risk averse they have a lot of compliance requirements um they do due diligence and that's something we've really leaned into i think you know if you want to get into this industry or if you want to be an investor in this industry or anything and you're you get caught up with slower sales cycles or or you know the fact that a company needs to have their SOC 2 their pci their ach audits this industry is not right for you. Like that is required to be successful here. Um, and we've spent a lot of time and effort and money in making that possible, but we view that as table stakes. So, um, in terms of the challenges, I think it's just that, you know, continuing to, you know, banks in general also, you know, the slow side of things that they just are a little bit slower moving. And, um, that just is what it is though. I don't fault them for it. I think it's, you know, as an industry, we, we're very quick to criticize, uh, but you know it's not you know it's not like we're doing nothing as financial institutions. There's, they're doing a lot. They also have to be the regulators are there. So again, just working through all that, Kaylee, is definitely um, a challenge in its own. But it's it's a challenge that I think is is um, will never go away. So it's totally fine. Fair enough. Um, and also, who do you consider to be your main competitors and how would you distinguish your value proposition from theirs? 
Yeah, there are a number of, of other digital banking providers out there. Um, I would say our two biggest competitors, it's a Austin-based company called Q2 eBanking, um, as well as a Dallas-based company called Alchemy. Both excellent companies have a lot of respect for their teams. In fact, we work with them um, uh, in partnership in some capacity. And that's another interesting part about this industry where um, a lot of your competitors can also be your partners. And that's totally fine. And I think as long as you have mutual respect for each other, um, you know, I think I think both can coexist, which uh, um, is actually like pretty rare, I think, in general in SaaS, but something that um, is needed. Because like on one side, there's 10,000 financial institutions and there's a, that's a lot of them, uh, more than any other country. Uh, but on the other side, there's only 10,000. So, you know, there's going to be cross-pollination. Um, on the value prop, look, I, you know, I think those companies do a lot of great things well. I think from our side, um, you know, just continuous focus on user experience and that constant innovation pace. Like I, I tell financial institutions, the number one reason you should hire us is because the product you buy today will not be the same as the product you have in three months and six months and 12 months. And they almost pause a little bit and they say, what do you mean? Like, we want the same product? And I'm like, you want the same product, but you want it to change over time. You want it to get better. You want, you want us to push you. You don't want to be playing catch up in two years and three years. And we're, we're going to make sure you're not. And um, and we take that to a whole, like, I would encourage your viewers to go to new.narmy.com. Uh, we publish, we publicly publish our innovation just, and we hold ourselves publicly accountable. I, I truly haven't seen that in fintech or anywhere in SaaS in general. So, um, or at least to the degree we do it. And, and I'm, there's probably companies that do it just to be, just to be fair, but I definitely don't see it in our industry. And, um, yeah, I mean, just to, like it, it would be, it was so frustrating to me that, um, I would, I would buy a product and then, you know, maybe be a three year contract and I'm sitting there in year two and I'd be like, this thing hasn't moved at all. Like, I just don't, understand what did I get the last two years? What did I pay for? Did I pay for just support and hosting? Well, if that's the case, it should be 10% of this price. So very frustrating. And, um, and, you know, obviously that, that problem is something we're addressing head on. Um, you know, we've also a couple other differentiators. A lot of my, um, my com competition set has grown through acquisition, um, which is not a bad way to grow, obviously at scale, but, um, we've written all our code in-house, all our products are coded in-house in the United States, frankly, in New York City. Um, so we definitely are very R&D focused. In fact, as a percentage of, of overall revenue, the amount we spend on R&D is considerably higher than our, our public comp. So we know that because they disclose a lot of that in their financial statements. Um, so yeah, just ton of ton of advantages to working with us, but I would just call out those as the main ones. Switching gears a little bit, one way in which the industry is evolving is through FedNow. Can you talk us through how NAMI is enabling organizations to support FedNow? Yeah, of course. There's a lot of great content on this uh, on NAMI.com. So just a plug for for what we're doing, and you know, we're we actually have an innovators retreat, which is our biannual conference next week, uh, where the director of FedNow management um, is actually speaking with with Narmi's co-founder, Chris Griffin. Um, so as you can tell, very plugged in. Uh, Narmi is going to be a provider of FedNow. We're connecting directly with the Fed, uh, and there are a few advantages working with us directly on that. Um, number one is definitely that seamless customer experience, which is right in the mobile online banking platform. 
like being able to send those payments seamlessly right in the click of a button from your mobile app, like getting a push notification. It's just like, it just works. And that's, I think, what we're really going for here. Um, number two, um, you know, we just have a lot of data um, on the customer. So, you know, we know a, a lot about the fraud profile of them. And, you know, what interesting thing about FedNow is the fraud component. A lot of that is actually on the vendor themselves to build. Like NARMI itself, there's no like fraud spec the Fed has re- has released. There's guidance for sure, but um, we are, you know, we we understand the data we have in the digital banking platform and are applying that to the fraud protocol as well. And I think as more and more FIs a- adopt this, that's going to be a critical part of it. I definitely see a lot of interest from our FIs. I think they, it's a little bit wait and see. Like for example, this was the verbatim conversation I had with one of our customers as recently as yesterday. Um, NARMI, we fully believe in FedNow and real-time payments. There's absolutely no question that it is the future of payments in this country. And it's obvious because there's actually a, a, a Canadian employee, you know, on that call. He's like, we already have it here. So I don't, you know, I'm already for it. And we obviously see how Europe is just, um, years ahead of uh, the United States, but it's a new, it's a new payment network at the same time. So I think you're going to see a little bit, you know, uh, crawl, walk, run approach um, the next year or so. But our job is to, you know, make sure RFIs are ready for 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 that. So we're really excited, and it's a huge investment here at Army. How quickly do you expect to see FedNow adopted across the industry, and which um, organizations do you think will lag in adoption? Yeah. So I mean, look, I, as I was saying, it's fairly new. So do I think ten thousand? Out of 10,000 FIs, we'll have that now by the end of Q2 24. I, I do not. Um, but at the same time, I think you're, you're going to have a set of forward thinking FIs really push the needle early in 24. I think they will be set up for long term success because they will learn from that and they will iterate on it. Um, and I think you're going to see trickle down adoption in the next few years. And I think that's totally fine. Again, it's a brand new payment network. It, it will take years to roll out. Um, but that's 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 totally fine. Again, like I think this is almost what I said, you know, five ten minutes ago. But it's okay that it will take years to roll out, and I think doing it right is really really important. Um, and again, Narmi has this long term view of Fed now, but you know, we have customers that are working on implementing it right now as we speak. And continuing to look at the industry, so twenty twenty three has been a tumultuous year for the banking sector with like the SVB and the First Republic crises earlier in the year. Given that you work so closely with banks as part of your business model, what's top of mind for you looking forward? Look, I continue to remain very positive on my customer base and my prospect base. I think they do incredible things for this country, incredible things for small and medium business incredible things for everyday consumers. Um, and I think they need digital technology to do those things well. No secret, uh, every or 99% of financial institutions need more deposits right now. So you are seeing, you know, a deposit-led uh, initiative almost at all our financial institutions and really getting their products set right, really getting their go-to-market right, um, getting their pricing right on rates, Um I don't see, you know, they don't, at least I'm not been communicated a, a decrease in loan demand. So, uh, they're, they're all looking for deposits to, to fund those loans. Um, 
I mean, look, there's, all, you know, this is all public. There's, there's no secret that high interest rates, you know, are, are fully into effect and definitely cut to the bottom line of banks and credit unions. But again, just, just put it all in perspective. Like, will financial institutions be a stable and solid source um, of just, uh, of just financial well-being and and security the next ten years? Absolutely. Will they need digital to succeed over the next 10 years? Absolutely. So all in all, like I try to take a medium to long-term view, and that's kind of our mantra and army in general, um, take a medium to long-term view on things. Because again, as a theme of this podcast has been things take time in this in- industry. So if you're optimizing for what's going to happen in two months, to be honest, the amount of time it takes you to to build something that will impact in two months, it's, it's just not, it's going to change and it's not going to be good enough. And you really need to build stuff to last. And that was our conversation with Ben now and some of the stuff on the sales cycle. So I feel good. I feel good, Kelly. I'm really not worried about anything. Um, our pipeline's strong. You know, we're still experiencing record growth on the revenue growth. And obviously we're a much larger company now than we were a few years ago and still seeing that high growth rate. So um, nothing but, nothing but uh, good things to say about the next few years, in my opinion. And are there any other trends or shifts that you expect to see in banking over the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do see banks and credit unions really getting in the weeds on their digital tech stack and tech spend and analyzing. Like, I think the best customers I have know down to the penny how much they spend on uh, to acquire a new consumer client or a consumer customer, a business client how much it costs to service them, whether that's the NARMI expense, their core banking expense. You know, they're just very meticulous about their tech spend. And I definitely see that happening. That will have to happen at more and more banks and credit unions because that will force them then to think about their technology stack as a uh, as a growth lever and as an investment tool versus just an expense. So... You know, again, I don't know if that's a quote, um, a, a, a more trend or a different trend than what we've talked about, but um, I think you're just going to see, yeah, banks and credit just get a lot more smarter about the digital spend specifically. And uh, then they're going to say, okay, how do we want to deploy that? Do we want to deploy that in account opening and digital banking and MarTech and something more AI, you know, AI driven? Um, that I think still remains to be seen. There is no shortage of vendors that uh, would love to sell to banks and credit unions, in all fairness. So um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of picking picking the ones that make the most sense for their business. And I'd love to talk a bit about how you went about building NAMI. So to start with, is what NAMI looks like today what you originally envisioned when you started working on the company? You know what? The answer is yes. Like, I'm really, really proud of that. You know, one thing that I pride ourselves on is that our mission statements never change. We've never had to pivot, you know, the, the, the company's goals or, or vision. Um, we have continued, you know, I have this slide I like to show, uh, you know, for new joiners and then in external presentations and it just graphs the type, all the products we've built over every single year. And it's just incredibly, you, you know, they're just, it's insane how much we've built. Like it's, it's so motivating and, and we're at a point also in our company, you know, almost eight years in where we've built a ton of foundation. So now the roadmap moving forward is really building on all those products and um, making them more robust and more more platform heavy and, and more 
you know, integration deep. So, um, you know, I, I think we got a lot of things right and I don't take that for granted. Um, I think that experience running our own financial institution is a huge part of that. Um, hiring great people who are really bought into, um, serving our customer base is, is a huge part of that. Um, and yeah, just, you know, staying focused, you know, we, we try not to get distracted and, and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's been a great ride and, uh, you know, I definitely don't, ex- I hope, uh, I hope in eight more years from now we can say, yeah, we're still working on the same thing. Yeah, just digitizing banks and credit unions. I'm also interested in hearing more about how you approach developing your suite of products. For example, how did you approach understanding the most important market needs and testing product market fit? You just have to listen to your customers and you have to listen to your prospects. So I'll just give you an example. In 2018, we brought to market consumer digital banking. So uh, we took financial institutions live, our mobile online banking platform for consumers. And their feedback was, this is really great, but, and I want to put tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of users on it. How do I get them? Like, how do I get them? And what was really, what they're really asking for is an account opening tool. Like, how do you layer on, um, uh, you know, a way that right before mobile online banking to get them in? And that's when consumer account opening came. And then what happened was, okay, this is great. We want this same exact thing for businesses. So you just have to be super like lockstep with our customers and with your prospects. And both are important because prospect needs will be different than customer needs. Customers have already bought your product and customers are already implemented. So they're going to want enhancements to those current products, whereas prospects are the ones saying, hey, we may not buy any product you have. So again, very, very, those two things are very, very different. Um, but that's the number one thing. You, you need to just really focus on that. Number two, like, yeah, just continuing to have a good pulse of what's going on in financial services, what's going on in other user experiences. Like for, I'll give you another example. So we released a functionality called unified login. So the whole premise is if you're a consumer, but you also have a business on the side, we want you banking with the same financial institution. Like that is an important cross-sell opportunity. But from a digital banking experience, what is that experience like? Are you, do you have two separate logins? Do you have to log out, log back in? Okay. Do you have one login and see everything? But then do you have like business services? But do you also have consumer services? Do you have both? Like it's, it gets very messy. Um, so one thing we drew inspiration from was Gmail. Gmail, people have multiple Gmail addresses and you can link them very easily on your mobile uh, Gmail app or online, online Gmail app. You can toggle between them. So we built something very similar to that in banking. So like, Kaylee has her business, but also her consumer. She just logs into her app, goes in the top right, toggles to her business, does all her needs, toggles back to consumer. It saves those sessions. It's powered by biometrics. That is a 10x feature, in my opinion. And our competition doesn't have that. So, um, yeah, I would say the second part is having a really good pulse on what's going on and just like best-in-class SaaS, best-in-class user experiences, and then seeing how they apply to financial services. Is there anything that you learned from developing your earlier products that impacted how you went about developing future products? Yeah, you know, a, a ton. <laughs> you know, we could do a whole a whole podcast on that uh, alone. Um, let's say if I was if I was to say one thing, you, you you know, a theme of what I've spoken about today is things take time, and I think that is a really important lesson. Whether you're a tech entrepreneur, or whether you're 
serving financial services or selling to financial institutions or financial institution. Things just take time. So, you know, the best thing to do, they're the best lesson we learned is pick a yearly goal. And having a yearly is the right, um, you know, duration, you know, and make sure that goal is big though. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be like a very small goal in the year, but I think setting annual goals and then building towards those and saying tracking them throughout the year, at least in this industry, I think is a really healthy way to do it. And you need to be happy. Like if you say, okay, if we hit this goal, this is what the business looks like at the end of the year. Make sure you're extremely happy with that desired outcome. And then you just have to motivate your team and motivate yourself to to execute on those goals. Um, so I know you asked about early building products, but that's that's the lesson where it's like, you cannot like you cannot do everything uh, in a year on the product side. So be really happy with where you want to be at the end of the year from a product side and commit to that and then try to stay focused on that because there will be a lot of shiny objects that show up throughout that year. But if you have that year-end goal from the product side, it, it really serves like this beautiful North Star that is very helpful. Speaking of goals, what are your short-term goals for NAMI and where do you see NAMI five years from now? Yeah, I mean, short-term goals continue to execute. You know, we we have a ton of great product that we'd love to get in the hands of more financial institutions. Uh, we have a ton of customers that um, are happy and, and could use more, more, more growth. And our goal is to make them more successful as well through our existing products. Um, we do have some major initiatives around FedNow. We talked about that a little bit. We've released um, some really cool openness tools. Uh, NARMI functions is what we call it. Um, that's basically like, it's it's a low code way to extend NARMI. So if you want to automate emails getting sent out, or if you want to set up a robocall, um, as, a, as a negative connotation I can understand, but if you want to set up a call every time someone opens their account welcome, welcoming to the bank, you can set that up. You can automate back office processes. So you know, getting that more in the hands of our customers and helping them understand it is huge. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're uh, uh, so short-term goals, yeah, continue to execute, um, you know, on the, on the five-year plan, look, uh, you know, just taking a step back, you know, I, I mentioned this already, our mission statement is pretty simple. You know, it's be the best digital banking provider to financial institutions, period. Like it literally says, period. And that is what I want us doing in five years. And what is that going to mean in five years versus today? Way more products, far more enterprise, um, uh, more extensibility, extensibility, more openness. Um, uh, you know, just it's going to mean so much in five years. But but the, the the great part is that mission statement will stay the same, and we we're going to do all those things because. We're confident it'll, it'll, you know, have that mission statement. So I want to, that's what I want to be doing. Uh, we'll definitely have hundreds of, of customers by then. This is the goal. Um, and, and look, like, I would, it, it would be a shame not to mention, you know, the, the team and culture and maintaining what we have. And, um, uh, it's just, it's been amazing. You know, I'm, I'm constantly in awe of everyone who works here and I consider it a privilege to, I learn from them and work alongside them and, continuing to mean that team, especially as we scale, will be critical. Um, so like I don't want to lower our hiring bar five years from now, even though we'll be, you know, a thousand employee company. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to see how it scales.
And finally, what are some learnings that you'd like to share with other founders who are earlier on in their journey to build a company? Yeah, I mean, thematically, it takes longer than than you always expect, and you should be okay with that. Um, you know, just always have a long term goal, and and really, like in the early days, you obviously have to prioritize for the short term. It's just necessary, but pretty soon, like you need to start taking like medium to long term bets, especially if you're serving more enterprise customers, like we are. You know, if you're serving more down market SMB or even direct to consumer, it's a little bit different of a ball game. Um, but, uh, I still think it's important to think, you know, at least a year down the road and where do you want to be and, and how to think about that. Um, other than that, you know, I think just enjoy the journey. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy to start a company from scratch and take something from zero to anything, frankly. So, um, definitely appreciate where you are because I think the last thing you want is to suddenly wake up 15 years later and you're like, oh my God, what did I build? But or what, excuse me, what did we build? Uh, you know, you're your co-founder, your team, but also just have that 15 years be a blur. Um, so, uh, we'll definitely, uh, I don't do that well. So, which is why I'm asking, but I definitely am trying to do that better moving forward. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Of course, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. To learn more about NAMI, please visit www.nami.com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and give us a follow on social media. We appreciate the support and hope that you'll continue to spread the word to more listeners. If you'd like to keep up with all the content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Medium at Wharton Fintech, where you'll be able to find articles, interviews, and much more analyzing all aspects of the fintech industry. As always, thank you to our editor. And until next time, this is your host, Kaylee Costello.